Welcome to our podcast series from the Computer Science Artificial Intelligence Lab at MIT. I am Lori Glover, and I'm here today with Professor Julie Shaw, who is an associate professor in MIT's Department of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and she also leads the Interactive Robotics Group for Research. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much. Can you talk a little bit about your area of research and some of your current projects? Absolutely. So my um, the, the goal of my research is to is to enhance human productivity in decision making and physical tasks. So I look at designing and deploying intelligent machine teammates to work with us with everything from building cars and building planes to supporting how we think about deploying an emergency response. And the, the key is to think about you know, what are the unique sort of capabilities that we want to preserve about how people work in these areas and what are the weaknesses that potentially intelligent machines can help shore up. Great. Can you give an example of one of your projects that you're working on now that you think is pretty exciting? Sure. So there's one sort of area of research in my lab is focused on deploying robots to work alongside people in factories. Um, to help people in building airplanes and building cars. And this is really trying to put robots like right alongside next to people as sort of assistants or sidekicks and <laughs> thinking about how we make people's work sort of more ergonomically acceptable and make the work more efficient overall for the factory. Okay, great. So what are some of the biggest challenges with this human-robot interaction? I can imagine one of them being that Robots are really big, and they usually have been in cages to protect human workers. How do you have humans and robots working side by side? Yeah, so the last few years has been really fun and really interesting because you know the robots have really left their cages to a large extent. We used to have to put robots in cages, keep people sort of physically separated from them because they're large and they're dangerous. Um, but we do have um, a, a family of new robot systems that are sort of more human safe. Um, they don't need to work in cages, and you can physically put them right alongside next to people on the assembly lines. But it turns out that just putting a robot right alongside next to a person actually doesn't make them necessarily a productive partner. Um, and so one of our big challenges is um, you know, you don't, you don't think about it when you're working in a team with someone in, in the kitchen or sort of in your daily job, like all the nuance and, and really sort of complexity that goes into making a human an effective partner and teammate for another human. Um, but really what we have to do is, is try to understand, reverse engineer, and develop computational models for what makes uh, humans effective team members and then give those to the robots so they can understand us better and then act as an effective partner. Oh, that's interesting. So that obviously incorporates some AI. And yes. Can you absolutely. talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, if you look at sort of many of the ways in which robots work with people today in these settings, they're, they're sort of very structured. So there are robots that can sort of hand over tools and materials. There's robots that can take turns in performing actions with people. Um, but the way people work with other people is much less structured, sort of much richer, more flexible. And one of the reasons people have this capability is that we have the special ability to infer the mental state of our partner. What are their goals? What are their intentions? What are they likely to do next? What, what do they need? When will they need it? 
Um, and it's, it's not necessarily straightforward to program a robot to infer the mental state of a human being. And so that's uh, a large part of our research, actually, is to give the robot models it can use to watch what it can see about a human doing their job and infer all of these mental states that allow them to anticipate the needs of their human partners and, and bees or more fluid team members. Oh, that, that's really interesting. So in manufacturing, that can clearly help a lot with you know, the, the production line. Are there other fields, too, that you see being impacted by this? Yeah, so, so our work focuses on sort of two parts. One is, uh, you know, a robot sort of taking a flexible plan for working with a person, tracking the person's progress through that plan, inferring what their goals are, what they're going to need next, and then being able to very quickly adapt or adjust their plan based on that information. Um, but the other part of that is, well, where do these plans come from? It's not always really clear how a team comes together and forms a flexible plan for working together. If you sit down and write down what each of your team members is going to do, say like in a, an emergency response yeah. area, and then you go to deploy, what you do actually resembles, you know, not quite what you discuss because circumstances change. And what people are really good at is through conversation, through experience, through practice, through observing partners, sort of learning all of these implicit constraints and considerations that go into being able to infer the mental state of others, be able to sort of predict what a partner will do when sort of different circumstances unfold. And so this is a problem that, you know, in some form shows up in, in the factory, but that's a little more of a structured setting. Uh, but it's a problem that shows up in, as I said, an emergency response. It sh shows up in military applications uh, and in, in the medical field. These are areas where people need to learn their role in, in a quite complex organization, and they need to do that through often an apprentice process and a part of that apprenticeship process is discussion and observation. In one of our recent projects we've worked to develop sort of new machine learning techniques that will watch a person do a job on a hospital floor. So watch a nurse make resource allocation decisions on a labor and delivery floor. Mm -hmm. Which patients should go to which rooms, which nurses should be assigned to which patients. There's no codified way for making these decisions, but if a robot's going to integrate into this complex workflow of a hospital floor delivering linens and medicines, and it's quite a burden to explicitly task them step by step. Mm -hmm. So we're developing robots that are able to sort of watch the workflow on, a, on sort of a complex hospital floor and sort of learn that workflow, learn to anticipate what's likely to happen next uh, so that it can jump in and take action without being explicitly told what to do every step of the way. Now, you said you know, learn the actions, and I'm going to have to ask the difficult question of AI and robots and impact on jobs, particularly manufacturing jobs that are getting so much attention right now. What is your take on how will humans work with robots or, you know, what is the future here? Yeah, I, so in the work that we do, we my lab really specializes in, in trying to understand areas where people are primarily doing the work today. So you know, final assembly of a car is done still almost entirely manually. Large parts of building, large commercial airplanes are still done almost entirely manually. And the reason these, this work is done manually is because it's 
incredibly difficult for a robot to do many of these tasks. There's a there's issues sort of in, in physically doing the work and dexterity, um, but there's judgment involved in a lot of these tasks, which is sort of easy to, to lose sight from. And it's quite hard to program judgment into a robot still. But in these large swaths of manual work, we, there are little pieces that can be done by a robot today. And the question becomes, you know, not how you program the robot to do these little pieces of work, but how you make that robot useful in this sort of complex organization. That robot needs to do its little piece of work, but it, it needs to be done interdependently in a way that's sensitive to the manual work still being done physically around it, and even in the ordering constraints between human and robot work. So there's a real integration challenge. It's a long-term vision, maybe, if it ever happens for all of this work to be transitioned over to sort of robotics and automation, but there's enormous gains to be achieved by solving this integration problem with sort of more intelligent machines, more flexible, machines capable of doing more flexible work. And ultimately, it can enhance you know, the productivity of American manufacturing and presents a, a big opportunity that we don't want to cut off due to uh, the sort of like visceral fear that robots might eventually take over our jobs. Well, it seems like robots will do things that are dangerous or difficult or you know, pairing with a human, in your work, particularly the human-robot teams, it's not so much, at least the way I've seen it, it's not so much a robot taking over completely, it's working as a partner with a human, and the human moving to a more, I guess, a, a safer workspace, and the robot will take over some of the other tasks. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah, so in, in some of these settings, the work, those little pieces of work that can be done by a robot, um, there's multiple reasons why you'd want a robot to do them. In aerospace, for example, quality of the work is um, is a really big deal, and in, in many cases sort of an overriding concern, and, uh, and a robot could provide value there. A lot of this work is ergonomically really, really challenging for people. It's not work that you can sustain over long periods of time without doing harm to yourself mm -hmm. physically. But again, there's, it's, it's still quite hard for a robot to do entirely. So thinking about um, sort of assistive systems, even you'd be even surprised, small motions sort of in assembling a car, small motions of putting the pieces sort of in the right position for a person to take and do that last fine dexterous piece of work, mm -hmm. that can shave off, you know, it, it, it seems like a little bit, like sub-seconds here mm -hmm. and there, but just like, you know, when you're saving pennies, like you save pennies and it adds up and in... Uh, in a line here, you save little pieces of time that adds up to large chunks of time that, mm -hmm. that can really have a sort of significant benefit in terms of overall productivity of yeah. that line. Yeah, and efficiency. Yeah, and efficiency, yeah. That's great. So from an industry perspective, what do you think is the most impactful aspect uh, of your work? Where do you think industry is going to benefit the most? You know, one of the really wonderful things about working in academia is that we sort of are able to look ahead sort of farther in the future than the normal sort of research cycle maybe of a company. And so I think it's been really exciting for us to sort of work with companies and sort of be inspired to imagine what, you know, a future workplace, whether it's in a factory or in a hospital, could look like. And then think through what are our, what are our fundamental challenges in making that happen with, uh, with current technology. And that's what drives our research in the lab. But a wonderful thing about partnering with companies and with industry is that in understanding, you know, what are the fundamental challenges and what are the long-term vision, you know, as you're working towards that, you have successes along the way and you have a willing partner to work with you to try it out, either a test facility on the line or maybe a real assembly line or 
as we did recently, deploy a robot on a real labor and delivery floor in Boston. <laughs> I think there's enormous opportunity for human-machine partnerships to fundamentally change how we organize our workplaces. And our work is just sort of little test balloons to see, well, well what can go from sort of an academic paper into a real world and, and mm-hmm. have impact. And it's been really fun. So you mentioned you actually deployed a robot on a real labor and delivery did. floor. <laughs> how did that experiment go? It was, so, so just to be clear, it wasn't uh, helping deliver babies physically. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> Just to be clear, the, um, so we were we were providing decision support, intelligent machine support for nurses on the labor and delivery floor. There's a set of nurses called the resource nurse or the charge nurse, and they basically perform an air traffic controller job on the labor and delivery floor. They're they're controlling the flow of patients, how nurses are assigned to patients, the mm-hmm. OR schedules. They're doing, when you analyze their job, their job is, um, my background is aerospace, so their job is equal to or harder than that of an air traffic controller, and they do it without any decision support. And their job isn't codified, it's a job they learn through apprenticeship over time. So how do you design decision support for someone whose job you can't really necessarily like write down, mm-hmm. you know? And so we deployed a learning technique to observe their decision-making over the course of weeks and design a model for their decision-making and then for a machine to be able to provide options. So rather than them having to think through, the machine would give suggestions. So maybe this nurse should be assigned to this patient, this new patient Mm -hmm. coming in. And what we were able to show was two things. One, our uh, nurses and doctors accepted the recommendations from our system 90% of the time, Hmm. which is a big success for us. And the other thing we did was just try to deploy computer decision support versus an actual robot that sat on the table and gave them the sort of recommendations. And it, and it turned out there were benefits to, you wouldn't think it's a decision-making task, mm-hmm. but there were actually benefits to deploying a physical robot, which is that doctors were actually able to better identify transitions in quality of the advice. So we had the system purposely give good quality advice, we had it purposely give low quality advice. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that if a system is giving recommendations in a safety critical area that those right. doctors and nurses can identify when it's high quality and when it's low quality advice because otherwise if they can't then we're doing something potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. And they were better able to identify transitions in quality advice when it was a physical robot giving them the recommendations. Hmm. Yeah. So, so the robot became part of the team. The robot became part of the team. A valued member of the team. <laughs> That's wonderful. So if you kind of, the last question is on vision. And if you could think out, you know, 5, 10, 20 years into the future, what might some of these robot human teams look like? What might some of the impacts be? Yeah, so um, so the vision that, that I think about and that we're working towards is a robot that doesn't have to be sort of explicitly commanded or explicitly programmed as to what effective teamwork looks like in our, in our areas of work, whether it's here in the lab or a hospital floor or in a factory, mm-hmm. but a robot that can learn through the same um, techniques and mechanisms that people learn through. So a robot that can sit down in a meeting and listen to a conversation about how how a day generally works in our work environment and then watch us go about our jobs and learn all of the implicit considerations and constraints that we learn through those same experiences so that it can sort of jump in, be a member of a team, anticipate our needs without explicitly being told to do so. Very interesting. Thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you so much.